recording. Brian, back. Yeah, we are back finally. The show's still going, guys. I want everybody to know the show's still going. <laughs> and we've actually busy. videoed we've, some. Yes, yeah, so we actually have some. We got some more drop in. We're about to start doing a bunch of remote shows. People just don't come through Houston as often in the Bitcoin space. Yeah, it's true. We're going to start cranking them out. And we have the holidays in there. So yeah, that was kind of weird. And I was running around living in tents time. and stuff. Yeah. Freaking living on the beach, man. City hippie. That's what I decided I am. So it's good. <laughs> nice. Love it. Uh, I actually been spending a lot of time in my camper. Yeah. Which I got booted off the other day. Uh, yeah, I went to, um, I had left my camper out at a campground uh, for a long time without a reservation. Nobody ever had a problem before, but apparently somebody ratted on me and I got a call the, yesterday morning. I had to drive, had to leave. I was at Nate. Had to leave to go to North of Lake Conroe to pick up the camper and then come back down to Nate. Just like was, a tow behind camper. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I was, and you know how Wednesday night at Nate usually is. So yeah, early Thursday morning freaking trips like that are not fun, <laughs> especially because yeah, it sucks. That's how I'm feeling right now, guys. This is the day after. This is the Friday yes. after Nate. So we apologize in advance to you, Brent, and to everybody I might need listening. to apologize as well. We, we may not be on our A game today. We're just, we're just going to roll with it. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. But we are. We're back, and we're going to be getting a lot more episodes out here over the next Make it quarter. Happen. Don't We'll just be overloading everybody. So, But Brent, yeah, thank you for coming, man. You bet. Uh, we're excited that, you know, you're going to be one of the first three shows coming out after the new year. Mm-hmm. So, nice. Nice. Um, it's Super Bowl week too, so I got my Chiefs hat. We're ready. I forgot that. Yeah. yeah, excited. You guys, Chiefs. Chiefs are gonna win. All right. I think Chiefs are gonna think win. Think it's a psyop with Taylor Swift kind of deal. It could be. <laughs> it could be. It, it might be. There's a tinfoil hat. We need it. I think it is. Hey, if but, she was dating somebody on the Niners, the Niners would win. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, uh, you know, I'm I'm a Chiefs guy though, Missouri. So let's go Chiefs. But hopefully, it's a good game. Uh, yeah, it'd be a good one if the Chiefs win. I'm fine with it. So, but I don't care what the score is as long as they win. So, but it, on to Brent stuff. So, tell us a little bit about what you guys got going here for, with Pin Oak and kind of kind of tell us a little bit about your uh, company, where you guys are at, what's going on, all the different sure. stuff. Sure, sure. Yeah, so I'm uh, Chief Commercial Officer at Pin Oak Energy Partners. I started in 2019. Uh, prior to that, I had a pipeline background and pipeline experience. Um, they brought me on chief commercial officer. We had a number of pipeline or number of wells that didn't have pipelines mm-hmm. that we can get into production. So I spent, oh boy, two years, 2019, 2020, trying to figure out how we can get that gas into production. Uh, we um, looked at CNG mm-hmm. on pad location, trucking that off. Those economics didn't work. Um, and ultimately ended up, I, I had some early conversations with Crusoe Energy mm-hmm. back in 2019. They were getting gas at a very inexpensive price in yeah. uh, the Bakken. So it was hard to convince somebody who's buying flare gas or getting flare gas 15 in the Bakken. cents a penny? Exactly. I, I know they're doing for a penny. Yes. I was there. But so yeah. you look at just trying to put production equipment on the pad, mm. you couldn't even pay for the production equipment. Right. Uh, but then luckily in twenty later in 2020, we had a group come to us and ask us about bringing one of those small upstream data generator, mm. data center packages to a pad location. And just buying gas off of us and we had had that, at that point we had some plug or produce orders 
mm-hmm. from the uh, DEP. Yeah. And we said, well, you know, this is new. The DEP wasn't sure about the operation, but we, he had an air permit, put the uh, unit out at the pad and started producing gas from the pad um, and got that well off of our plugger producer list. What year was that? This was 2020. Okay. Yeah, All late right. 2020 into mm-hmm. 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we started looking around at other pad locations that we had that were stranded and didn't have any place to go. Uh, the next project we did was a joint venture project where we took gas that we had. We bought a generator. We operate 1,200 miles of pipeline as mm-hmm. part of Pin Oak Midstream. Uh, so we have technicians that run Caterpillar compressors all over Pennsylvania and all over Ohio. Nice. So to hand them a yeah. Caterpillar generator, you know, same front end, just a little bit different back end. Um, so it was really easy to add my compressor technicians that maintain the compressors that, hey, we're going to add a 300kW generator out here at the pad. Uh, we're going to take 80 MCF of gas from the pad that we can't get into the local distribution company because mm-hmm. we can't meet their gas quality requirements. The pad at one point had a JT out there at the pad. And when you had higher pressures and higher volumes, the JT would be able to strip out enough of the heavies mm. that you'd be able to meet the gas quality requirements. But as the well got older and you didn't have enough pressure and enough contact time in a refrigeration unit either, mm. you just couldn't meet the gas quality requirements. Was, was this your first exposure to, to Bitcoin or were you already orange pill before no, this process? No, this was my first exposure. My first okay. exposure was just out of trying to find some place to be able to sell natural gas. Yeah. Um, and so that was, it was a solution. Yeah. Uh, without me really fully understanding anything that was, you know, behind the, the actual reasoning and, and, and everything that was Bitcoin. What, what was your thought process then on when you when you looked at it, you're looking at CNG first mm-hmm. and like, okay, the economics don't work on that. Was there anything else you looked at in between CNG and then Bitcoin mining? We looked at LNG as well. Yeah. Uh, same problem as you just, just couldn't come up with. Um, we we looked at vehicle fueling, mm-hmm. CNG vehicle mm-hmm. fueling. Yeah. Uh, these locations in the middle of nowhere. Like nobody's I driving mean, out Benango there. County right. in Pennsylvania, an hour away from Pittsburgh or more. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason that anybody's going to drive to that. Path. You get a customer filling up at once every exactly. like six months. Exactly. Some random dude, right? Yeah. So it was, there was very limited <laughs> yeah. options out there for stranded wells. And that's why a number of those wells just end up getting plugged. Mm-hmm. And if you're a larger company like BP who came into Ohio and, and tried early on drilling the Utica and didn't have great success, a number of the wells that they drilled ended up getting plugged mm-hmm. um, because they had the financial wherewithal to uh, plug it. Mm-hmm. We bought a number of assets from Halcon, from Shell, from BP, all as PDP producing assets uh, in the Utica shale. Mm-hmm. And in order to get the deal done, you have to take a couple of these wells that don't have any pipeline. Yeah. And so you take those liabilities on and hope that you can find a way or maybe natural gas prices go to $4 or $6 and now you can justify laying a pipeline. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately the solution that came to us was the Bitcoin mining. So what, when you thought about that, because this reminds me a little bit of uh, Leachman, right? Ryan, mm-hmm. when, when we started Jay, um, you know, it was purely a necessity for why we started doing any mining. Um, you know, he didn't care at all about Bitcoin or any of that. It was, it, but that was for oil production. This is, you're trying to monetize the actual gas. So did you have an issue with like, what What were your thoughts on Bitcoin when you it, got to that and you're like, well, we can monetize using Bitcoin. It evolved like, from being almost a joke. Yeah, right. In the weekly operations calls, when I would give my commercial update on things that we were working on for these stranded pads, You'd get a big chuckle on the phone or a big chuckle in the conference room. Because <laughs> at that point, we were all remote because uh-huh. it was during the pandemic. Yeah. And it would be a chuckle. And it, are we really looking at Bitcoin? And I'm like, if the check clears, 
and the guy's buying the gas and we can turn in the production information mm -hmm. to the state. I don't care what he's doing with the right. gas. As long right. as it's legal, yeah. I don't care what he's doing with the how gas. Did, how were you doing, like, so in 2019 timeframe, right? Like, yeah, there weren't podcasts or weren't events around this. Like, how are you How are you knowing that this was even a tool I in had the known, first place? So I had, uh, Eclipse Resources was, so prior to being at Pinnock Energy mm -hmm. Partners, I was at Blue Racer Midstream, a pipeline company that was in the Utica Shale and in the Marcellus Shale building pipelines to the Utica wells. We were gathering the gas. We were processing the gas at the Natrium Processing mm -hmm. Facility at the burn processing facility. So I was super familiar with where everybody had drilled at as I spent eight years as a VP of business development trying to get as many processing and gathering contracts as I could. So I had a, a very good intimate knowledge as to um, what, where people were drilling and what they were doing. Um, I totally lost track of which question was. <laughs> how did you How did you know that Bitcoin mining was a tool in the first place? Were, oh, you, okay. were you like on Twitter yeah. or were you yeah, like- Yeah, so um, Matt Deneza uh, was the chief financial officer at Eclipse Resources. Mm -hmm. And Eclipse Resources was one of the first customers that we at Blue Racer acreage dedication and a gathering contract and processing agreement for. So I watched their development of the Utica Shale. Well, when Eclipse Resources was sold and merged with uh, Blue Ridge Mountain Resources to create Montage, mm -hmm. uh, Matt Deneza was no longer with the group. Mm -hmm. So uh, LinkedIn message pops up that he ends up at Crusoe. Right. So I'm mm -hmm. like, nah, Matt's a great guy. I, I was, I always. From a financial standpoint, he was fantastic. So I like to track where he was headed to and why he was going there. And when I looked at Crusoe, I was like, well, shit, people are actually, you know, yeah. using stranded gas. So I reached out to Andrew at Crusoe and mm, had the conversation yeah. with him. And like, hey. I saw him yesterday. Yeah, I First saw him yesterday as well. So long. He's a good dude. And I said, uh. as then so we had the conversation like, so what mm. are you paying for this gas? Because if I can get enough to at least justify putting the production equipment in, I really don't care. Mm. I just want to be able to get a well into production. And then it was like 15 cents. And yeah. Like, oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> 15 cents is probably not going to cut it. Right. Like, but at least I know that the technology yeah. is out there. Right. So right. random inbound call mm -hmm. from Mark Stevenson, who works with us now at mm -hmm. Magellan Scientific, because his neighbor had a friend who had a Utica well on his property that Pinnock Energy Partners had. Mm -hmm. He didn't even know if we had stranded assets and called and said, hey, I'm looking for a place. I know this is going to sound crazy. I'm looking for a place where I can put a small upstream generator data set mm -hmm. unit and mine Bitcoin on a pad. And because I'd had mm -hmm. that conversation like, oh, with Crusoe, like, okay, well, how much are you willing to pay for the gas? Mm -hmm. ah, I could probably pay a buck, maybe a buck 50. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I can justify putting in production equipment mm -hmm. for a buck or a buck 50 as opposed to 15 cents. Right. So that's when I introduced it. And mm -hmm. then I already told my, the team, our team that looked at tried Crusoe, but they're only going to give us 15 cents. So mm -hmm. that's really not going to work. So we're like, yeah, well, let's give it a try. Let's put it out there. After he had his equipment up and operating on the pad and he was paying us, we're like, all right, this works. Yeah. And we got to be missing something. Right, right. Like, there's got to be something yeah. more to this. So that's when we started down. And Kyle Texter at that same point at Carbon mm -hmm. Capture had reached out and was looking for the same thing. He had mm -hmm. heard that we had been working with somebody else to do mining on pad. Mm -hmm. And that's where like, you know what? I, I don't think we want to just sell the gas at this right. point. Let's partner and try to understand what it takes to do all this Bitcoin mining mm -hmm. on pad and make that next step. So yeah. when we partnered with Kyle, and like I said, I already had generator, I already had compressor technicians that could mm -hmm. maintain the equipment. Right. We had cylinder heads, spare cylinder heads for the generator that we bought that was the exact same cylinder head that was on our compressor station at Lake mm -hmm. Wilhelm Compressor Station. So it was really a good fit. And when we partnered with Kyle, um, he was bringing the data center out and I mm -hmm. said, well, let me know when you're coming out there. 
I'll put my boots on, I'll put my gloves on. I want to see everything it takes to connect the data center, to put all the computers in, to connect everything up, to get everything working on the site. And yeah. because I figured this is great. I'm a mechanical engineer by training. So I just love to do hands-on projects. And uh -huh. I was like, yeah, this is a great opportunity to be out in the field. Of course, it was in June. Oh, and it was gosh, hot yeah. as hell. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we set everything up at the site, got the generator running. And then you're looking at your, you're looking at F2 pool and then you're looking at your mm -hmm. wallet and like, all right, we're making some Bitcoin here. Yeah. that Good for you guys, though, for recognizing that. Because that, they're still, <clears throat> the majority of oil and gas companies, I think, are still, like, if they're going to test it at all it's like we'll do a gpa and yeah. you know we'll we'll sell some gas to you um but getting actually involved early on is that 2020 that 2021? was 2021 okay yeah right. late 2020 early 2021 yeah but and it was shortly after that we said all right we've got all these stranded locations mm -hmm. we could we could potentially do 100 megawatts of power generation wow on these stranded locations that we own and control wow that's crazy. 100 megawatts we're like 100 megawatts times and at this you know early mm -hmm. 2021 you're looking at marathon you're looking at right you're looking what their yeah. true exahash was not necessarily what they had on order mm -hmm. I'm like shit man you could have as much exahash as some of these right. main guys and their stock price at that point is going uh, through the doggone I mean, roof that, that was insane mm -hmm. back when they those first uh yeah like 21 when they're all the evaluations of the bitcoin mining companies were just it was it was insane. So yeah, it was like, like what 20, ballpark were we in? Oh, like 25x multiples. It's, it's yeah. insane. It's yes. like crazy. Doesn't make yes. any sense. And a lot of the stock, because you brought it up, yeah. was, was based on like orders that had been placed. Yes, so yes, a lot of the yes. value on these stocks, it, it was completely out of whack. Like it, not realistic. And, you know, I obviously I'm a proponent of Bitcoin mining. I, I do think the public miners are, there's, there's going to be a, there's a change right now actually happening in the valuation side mm -hmm. of things, I think. Um, but it's hard to maintain the market share of a network that's grown at the rate that the Bitcoin network is growing for you to kind of maintain your place or your position yep. in the overall scheme. Like if I want to maintain a 4% share of the hash rate, the amount of capital that I've got to be putting in to keep up is, I don't know how sustainable that is. You know what I mean? Yep. So. There's going to be more changes on those valuations on the public miners for sure. There's got to be. I've always yeah. said that it's not in the best interest of an EMP to be a public company. I think you mm -hmm. can operate more, I guess, efficiently as a private company. Do you feel the same th thing on the mining side? I, I, I do. My, my preference would always be like, just because we talked about this a little bit earlier, like mm -hmm. even the private equity side, like just maintaining control of your company and what you want to do and, and not being beholden to you know an equity provider or in that case like public markets because a lot of the stuff in the public market it's not necessarily even based on the just the baseline economic values it's like esg stuff all yep. the stuff you need to get dinged for different things that you know philosophically we probably don't agree with a lot of the narrative on that and a lot of it is not really to do with the you know the basis of your operations or your economic value it's like these ancillary things that you know are philosophical differences like mm -hmm. i don't i'm not a big esg guy i think it's kind of a scheme but you know i understand i'm all about being environmentally friendly sure yeah. but like when that's such a big part of your valuation on, but from a public market standpoint like yeah. well, that's the beauty of being a privately owned right. company right to be able to go in a year's time frame from laughing 
on early phone calls that you're going to sell gas for Bitcoin mining right. to being you know out trying to raise six to eight million dollars to buy data centers to buy computers mm. and to deploy six megawatts onto yeah. stranded pads that you have and you are not going to you know boards of directors to mm. explain all right here's what Bitcoin is right. <laughs> starting right. from point one yeah I mean, you get a couple leaders in the organization that understand commodities understand yeah. energy understand the space mm -hmm. and you can quickly make that leap to all right, we, right. We, we've tried it here we sold gas it's working there we joint ventured we've got coin coming into mm -hmm. our into our account every day and so now we're gonna make that next step and try to take you know two dollar natural gas and turn it into twenty dollar right. natural gas and right. that's a no-brainer of course it takes like off-grid mining operation mm -hmm. is the hardest mining operation that is. you can do. You've no been doubt. there. Yeah. You know that yeah. for sure. I Trying mean, to hit run yeah. times is tough. It's tough. Especially tough. when you're talking about multiple locations off-grid. Yes. And it's like, man, and where's your source of gas? Is it one well? Well, that's always a problem too. Yes. You got, yes. You're going to have inevitable downtime. So, yes. yeah, it's not easy at all, but... Yeah, yeah. It, you can, well, and you guys now, I mean, do you mind talking about kind of sure. the shift? Yeah, because you got a perfect kind of comparison now, probably. Yeah, like, and it is uh, the when Mark Stevenson and mm -hmm. I have been, so we started deploying our equipment. We moved some of our equipment from off-grid location at an oil and gas, I don't know, a gas pad to an on-grid location in Ohio. And the reliability of power is, is crazy, isn't it? <laughs> and Mark Stevenson, the first day that him and I showed up, we're starting to set up equipment. He's like, just he's like, I know these PDUs are not going to trip anywhere near like oh. they were in the field because they're getting good, clean, steady power. Right. And the right. generators fluctuating and what power you're getting and you're you're yeah. tripping the main breaker on a PDU. You've got 20 amps tripping all over the place. Legs are getting out of balance. All yeah. Stuff. I'm like, yeah. I'm, and then you, yeah, so you're like trying to look like, at the what? A, B and yes. C. Like, and, and I'm and a mechanical you, engineer. I'm not an electrical engineer. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you mean we got a we got a load balance? Right. This and shit? I've got to like turn, turn <laughs> computers off on this one to balance it. Out. Oh, man, it's so no, much and stuff then going into with it. The, you, Adding the complexities of a microturbine, mm. uh, because a microturbine uh, can generate more power when it's cold mm. and can generate less power when it's hot. So you take a fall, you know, day in September in Ohio that goes up to 80 during the day mm. and then goes down to, you know, 40, 50 degrees at night. Now you have to set up foremen yeah. to sleep miners during the wow. day so that you don't overload the generator as it mm. can't make as much power. Because, I mean, everything's on a shoestring, so you're not going to go rent a 1.3 megawatt generator when you only need a meg. Mm -hmm. You're going to try to rent a ask. meg, right. and they can't even give you a meg yeah. <laughs> when it gets hot out. Yeah. So you have yeah. to sleep miners, and then you have to bring them back on at night. Mm -hmm. um, and then you got to make sure, well, do I have them evenly sleep between yeah. A, B, and C phase? Because now you're overloading yeah. trip a 300 right. or a 600 amp breaker oh, because man. you've overloaded one phase. Yeah. This is like giving it's me not, like, uh, old memories <laughs> where I'm like, uh, how is this? Is working and then we realize well we didn't mark um on the racks which ones are going to a b and c you know what i mean and it's like so then you're guessing you're playing with it you're literally watching yes. like or oh, when i turn off this rack what's it do and you're trying to literally balance it out it's, it's it can be a freaking i mean the learnings we did from like day one to, yes. to the end was just like it's crazy i'm I mean, glad that we early on um i adopted the foreman software mm -hmm. to be able to rat, draw your racks and know where your computers yeah. are and flash them when you had an issue 
to be able to find things because mm -hmm. the early data centers that we did, we had numbers on yeah. all the computers. Right. And well, number 137 is saying there's a problem. I'm like, where the hell is 137, yeah. man? There's a, there's the 90, there's off. 90 computers <laughs> right. in here. I'm trying to find, then yeah. you find it and you're like, all right, where the hell's that power cord? Going? Right. <laughs> you're yes, following man. it around. Oh shit, uh, I tripped the breaker. Damn yeah. it. And you turn the breaker back on and. <laughs> it's, it's fun though. It's like, yes. it's like one of those things where you're like, it's probably like, <laughs> By not no stretch of the imagination, am I trying to pretend it's the same? Uh, I guess importance level, but it's like probably boot camp for you know, the, like you look back and you're like, you remember we did that together? Like we, we need survived. a tattoo or something? Yeah, <laughs> the struggle. Yeah, but it, it's it was it was a lot of fun and yeah, there is a lot of learnings. But you're no no doubt like I've been doing a lot. Most of the deals I I do now are mm -hmm. on grid stuff, and mm -hmm. so. Um, you know, I, I like to stay involved and kind of see how things are going. And it's just from a complexity level, it's not even, I mean, I would sleep so much better at night knowing my stuff's on grid just yeah. from an operational standpoint. Now, from the regulatory standpoint, that's where that was the beauty early on nervous. saying I could have 100 megawatts of right. remote locations in Ohio, Pennsylvania mm -hmm. that nobody would really even right. hardly know that you're there. Now, there are definitely depending on what townships you're in, mm -hmm. uh, depending on, you have to have your permitting, you may have yeah. that building permit, you may have to have a special ordinance mm -hmm. um, to be able to be in those locations. But a yeah. lot of those remote locations, they don't have building code, mm -hmm. you know, they don't have any um, permit or any you know, variance yeah. requirements or any zoning at all. And it's not as- um, And you were even luckier in Wyoming versus right. being yeah, in Pennsylvania. Wyoming's a wonderful place to operate. <laughs> Wild, Wild I'm a big Wyoming fan, love that place, but- yes. um, but you know, you also don't have the threat as much of the threat. You guys actually did have to deal with some regular threats, mm -hmm. but um, you don't have as much of a threat from the government just coming in on the whole. You know, you're using too much electricity type of argument. Correct. Um, Correct. So that's and honestly, we would make the argument that we were helping the grid. Oh yeah, because we were doing this off grid yeah. with computers that would have been plugged into the grid potentially right. anyways. Right. Um, so, but now when you're looking at economic demand response and demand mm -hmm. response opportunities in the grid, you're actually helping you're to helping stabilize the grid. The grid. Right. If you're making the decision that, all right, power prices just went to $278 per megawatt hour, I'm not mining, mm -hmm. and you shut off, and then all mm -hmm. that power is able to go elsewhere. Right. So actually, you're really, in my opinion, you're stabilizing it to help the grid. And that's a good thing right. that Bitcoin miners are able to right. do that. And that's, what do you guys think of the, and you don't have to answer if you want to, but... Um, <laughs> Like the EIA stuff. Have you, you, you I, saw that? I saw that, yes. Yeah. That's a quite exhaustive list. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, you, you guys will not reach that threshold. Where what, is, no, what is the, Let's give some context. What yes. is the EIA yeah, stuff? Yeah, so basically they're requiring um, any miners who are using, I want. I can't remember what the number was. I don't was. remember exactly what the level right. was. But it's a fairly high level usage of electricity to report basically their usage, how much they're using, all this kind of stuff. Um, I know some people are comparing it to other industries that are like, oh, they were having to report, you know, certain things, but it 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 hasn't been um, reporting your electricity usage. It's a lot of it's been like what you're generating. Yeah, those are different things to me because, yeah, right I now I think they the were going to ask you what what type of equipment that you're right, using. Right, they're asking right. you what it's type very of detailed coin that you were right. What, what type of whether well, proof of work, proof of right. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, and it's, proof of stake. I feel like it's definitely overreach. Um, and I feel like it's very arbitrary to. This feels like of, like registering firearms. It does. It does. <laughs> if it, and in a way, because of the, I don't know, the radical kind of aggressive 
anti-electricity or usage of anything other than a renewable, even though renewables are made from hydrocarbon products typically. Um, even though you know you're you can be using electricity that's not going to make it to the grid. Yeah, a lot of the behind the meter stuff. Um, which there is a lot of that as part of the network, and especially in the U.S., a lot of the stuff people are using is behind the meter, uh, flexible load type yep. uh, projects. So um, th- it's not it's not a fair or accurate read, even yep. if you're reporting electricity usage, because like a lot of this is stuff that is not even going to make it to the market ever. Yep. Yep. So I would and, argue, and, and, and on the flip side, you're making project, you're making some projects economical by being right, behind the right. be, behind the meter and actually providing additional income. Yeah, that's the nuance that like it's so easy to say. Some look at how much electricity the Bitcoin network uses on a daily basis. So yeah. They use more than this more. The reality is that you are generating revenue for projects that would not make it. Yep. They would not make it without without mining, and. Those are the projects, the ones that they're, the Bitcoin mining is actually making economic. Those are the ones that the people are going after Bitcoin mining would be proponents of. Yeah. And so it's either that they have, a, if, that they're bad actors or acting in bad faith by trying to go after it. Yeah. Because it's really like ideologically, it's actually supportive of their position and, and it makes their, it makes the projects they want viable. Yep. Um, or they just don't understand and it's kind of a, naive position for them to have and actually one that is counter to what their stated agenda goals are so you know there's it's either hypocrisy or it's idiocracy idiots you know it's one or the other there's really no in between to me yep well that's probably a good trans uh transition Mm -hmm. to the stranded locations beyond just natural gas stranded locations that got chris halverson and myself at magellan scientific thinking about where else is there stranded opportunities? Mm-hmm. Can I take a data center to the Aleutian Islands? Uh, and yeah. can I mine off of you know geothermal there? Can mm-hmm. we go to Patagonia and put a windmill? Where are there locations where there's tons of energy, but the market isn't there, Right. but you can bring a data center to those locations. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got into building the first turbo expander on a natural gas regulating station to be able to generate electricity from that process and then bring the data miner to the turbo expander in oh, the middle of anywhere. Yeah. Um, how much in, How much do you guys know about turbo expanders or pipeline operations? <laughs> not, 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 not much. Let's give, let's <laughs> yeah. give, what is a turbo expander? Let's start there. So a turbo expander is a very sophisticated piece of equipment, but it's very simple. Mm-hmm. It is using a screw compressor where a, typically a screw compressor would take a low pressure and then spin it up through the screws, kind of like a mm-hmm. turbocharger or like a supercharger on a car. Mm-hmm. Nice and speaking my language. Make it into higher pressure <laughs> and put it into a pipeline. Okay. Um, or it, you have air systems where they use screw compressors and create higher pressure air. You can take high pressure natural gas and run it through the screw compressor backwards. Goes in high pressure, comes out low pressure, mm-hmm. and in the process, it's spinning those veins that connects to a generator that generates electricity. Okay, so, so is it more efficient to do it that way than? Yes, so if you think about it, I have a prop. All right, perfect. Okay. Oh, so nice. You have an oil and gas well in the field, a mm-hmm. couple thousand pounds of pressure if it's a shale well on there. You regulate that gas pressure down. It goes into a pipeline system, typically a gathering system, and then it gets to a compressor site. That compressor site aggregates a whole bunch of wells together mm-hmm. and then puts it into an interstate pipeline. This could be in Wyoming. Right. There's no load in Wyoming. Mm. So that gas gets on a pipe there and then heads out towards Seattle. 
and finds an end user out in Seattle that needs that gas. Well, you have you need all that high pressure, and, and a lot of times on those interstate pipeline systems, you have multiple compressor stations because the gas pressure will drop, and that's essentially boosting the gas to move it to a consumer. Mm-hmm. Every time you compress that gas, you're typically using natural gas, and you're using energy mm-hmm. to move that and to keep that pressure higher. Once that gas gets to a natural gas regulating station, all that energy that was put into that gas to move it across the pipeline is lost. Okay. Because you just take a regulator that's a simple valve and it just cuts the pressure, you have the temperature drop, and then the gas goes to an end user. So imagine taking a balloon. That's me compressing. Okay. And then you get to the regulating station and then you're slowly, Mm -hmm. slowly, slowly letting it out. I put effort into blowing the balloon up. (laughs) And then all that effort that I put into it is gone once you let it out. That's what's happening on the pipelines everywhere across the North America, everywhere Mm -hmm. across Europe, is that you're putting effort into getting that gas moved to the end user Mm because typically the end user is not right next to the well pad. Yeah. Especially if it's an industrial user, it's not typically right there. And then you're just giving that energy away. But if you take a turbo expander. Oh, probably, probably another two. Prop. Yes. Now, this might take me a second. All right. Because I haven't practiced this. You might have to cut this. No, we're keeping this. This is great. <laughs> so I don't know how so many. You, that's the generator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the spinner in there is yeah. making the noise. That's the same concept yeah. that is in a turbo expander. That's the generator. That is the generator. And so uh, your air is, as it's coming through, you're generating it's reducing the pressure from mm. one side to the other. And it's spinning, in this case, to make the whistle noise. Right. But, but in the turbo expander, it's spinning connected uh, to an electric generator to make electricity. We should be doing that everywhere. So you're like, that's a great idea. Yeah. But where are natural gas regulating stations? They're typically Rural. not right next to... Um, power lines right typically right not usually next to a user mm-hmm. so this technology is not new it's been around for a long time it's just what are you gonna do with that electricity exactly oh. and so that was where we had our aha moment at magellan was like i've known about turbo expanders forever i've always thought the technology was neat i was in i worked at dominion in 20 mm-hmm. 2003 and ge had turbo expanders that they had been manufacturing they were using them at large like LNG facilities. Mm -hmm. Because when you're taking liquefied natural gas and then regasifying and then cutting pressure, there's a ton of energy there. Right. And so they can capture that electricity and then use that electricity on site because they're powering all different types of equipment. Mm -hmm. But when you go out to a storage field in the middle of Ohio where you're regulating gas from 1,600 pounds down to 400 pounds, you generate a couple megawatts of power, Mm -hmm. but you're in the middle of nowhere. And once you start... Looking to take I'm like this thinking power. thinking about a bunch of stuff right now. I know you are. Because <laughs> you start thinking about, all right, I got to put a power line in, and then I've got to go to uh, First Energy and try to get an interconnect on First Energy. Mm-hmm. And First Energy is like, I don't want your megawatt of power. I got mm-hmm. enough other stuff yeah. that I'm trying to manage. Your interconnect is going to take a three-year review. It's going to cost a ton of money in engineering. And then once you try stringing the power, the project goes from being essentially zero cost electricity to more cost than you then you would be able to sell because it in the market. Because you're compressing that gas constantly behind it. Mm-hmm. So it's probably a steady stream. Well, it, you need to find a, a location mm-hmm. that has a steady take. Yeah. Um, a power plant 
well, that I, is off of Rocky's Express that's 1,400 pounds and taking gas in at 600 pounds mm. and using 400 million a day of gas. Wouldn't any, wouldn't any, um, well, and how fast? So I know this is just a balloon and a, a whistle, but like how much gas we talking to generate, say, 10 megawatts? Great question. Behind it. The units that we're working with with Annex Power, Annex Power mm -hmm. is a manufacturer of small scale turbo expanders. Okay. And that's been the real challenge is that at an LNG facility where you have tons of gas, mm -hmm. you can afford a high capex and you can build a unit knowing that you're going to have a lot of gas for a long time to be able to pay for that unit. Mm -hmm. But most locations where you're regulating gas, 100 million a day, 50 million a day, mm -hmm. 10 million a day. Um, and the, and so the challenge was for uh, somebody to design a unit that's skid-based, mm -hmm. that's eight feet or narrower, so you can ship it on a truck bed and mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about a wide size load or anything. Drop it at a location on a skid. You don't need to worry about foundations. Mm -hmm. Get it set, connect it up to the pipe and be able to take 10 million a day of gas mm -hmm. and be able to make 250 kW. Right. Now, it's not Ten... a ton of okay. power, but... 10 million yeah. a day is a pretty small gas right. volume to run through a regulating station right. to feed a paper mill. Could this not work at a midstream facility though? Well, usually at the midstream facility, the midstream? You're, it could work at a well pad. Okay. Because of the well the pad, you're cutting high pressure to low right. pressure. Okay, midstream, you already cut it. Yes. Yeah. The hard part about a well pad, obviously you got contaminants, mm. so you got to make sure that the gas is clean because mm. you don't want sand, frac sand, right. water going through your turbo expander. Uh, but you also have declining volumes. Mm -hmm. And the best case scenario is to find a pipeline location where you have a regular pressure cut that's occurring from a high pressure line to a low pressure line mm -hmm. and feeding continuously. So maybe like a like a gas field. That or um, take a transco station that's in you know Pennsylvania or New York mm -hmm. um, that's continuously feeding Con Ed natural gas. 24 7 365 mm -hmm. um you know take you know any of those larger regulating stations that are taking gas that's you know drilling in marcellus coming across northern pennsylvania and being dropped in and consumed in the northeast year round because you're never going to be able to build a turbo expander that's going to yeah. be able to handle the highest volume at the facility you're going to build a turbo expander and, and install turbo expanders for baseline for the baseline right um but let me go a little bit further yeah because i i got some questions but yeah go ahead well, what's it cost? What's the cost for a 250 kilowatt turbo expander? So the expander? Annex turbo expanders are right around a million dollars. For 250 uh, KW? It, it can actually do 500. Okay. Um, and, 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 the, and so the goal, obviously, yeah. with the first unit. It's kind of expensive. It, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the goal, obviously, with the equipment is to be able to get to a point where you've got a modular unit mm -hmm. that's the same build, every one, and you're building multiple units to right. be able to get that per unit cost down. Right, right. Um, and so that is has been our project with annex power mm -hmm. is to take the first unit that they've designed to be a commercial deployment of a unit and install that at a pin oak midstream mm -hmm. regulating station that we own and operate in north central pa and then to be able to bring magellan scientific's data center mm -hmm. to the site to be able to show a real location in real time where you are cutting the natural gas pressure mm -hmm. you're generating electricity and you're mining bitcoin off of that electricity okay the economics of that location I'll readily admit will be a little challenging, mm -hmm. but it is a small enough project that as Magellan Scientific and as Pin Oak and as Annex, we can put the money towards that project to mm -hmm. demonstrate the viability right. of the equipment. Right. Yeah, because the cost will come down. Yes. Right. Yes. Now, taking it one step further, uh, 
we are using an immersion data center mm. combined with the turbo expander. And you're thinking, well, why are you spending more money on an immersion yeah. data center? You're in north central PA. It's not very hot. It's not up there. Hot, yeah. yeah well, the computers obviously create a ton of heat. The natural gas regulation process mm. goes from high pressure to low pressure, and you lose a ton of temperature. So most natural gas regulating stations upstream of the regulator have a gas-fired boiler. Mm. It mm. heats the gas up, typically from 50 degrees up to 100 mm. or so degrees, depending on how much pressure you're cutting. And then the gas flows through the regulator, and when it comes back out of the station, it's 40 to 50 degrees. Mm. It's above freezing. Mm -hmm. So you're using natural gas to heat up that gas stream. Right. There's scope one emissions yep. associated with burning that natural gas to heat that gas up. Um, and then the computers are generating a ton of heat. So we're sitting back thinking, well, if you have an immersion data center with the computers and you're capturing that heat and you bring that heat from the immersion data center through heat exchangers to the turbo expander and to the inlet, you can use the majority of the heat from the computers get cooled down by the cold gas that's mm. coming in it raises the temperature on the gas loop, and then system. it creates the heat that you need for the gas before it gets regulated and you can for the most part eliminate burning natural gas mm -hmm. on the inlet of the regulating station mm -hmm. now you've helped to decarbonize the natural gas regulation process because you've got scope one emissions mm -hmm. that you're eliminating and then through the generation of electricity at that site you qualify for renewable energy credits that in Pennsylvania are tier two renewable energy credits mm. that you can sell to help pay for the economics of the project. Or if you're a pipeline company who has a goal by 2030 or by 2050 to be carbon neutral, you can retire those credits. Yeah, And it helps to offset your emissions elsewhere that you may not be able mm. to eliminate. See, you're doing a good job of telling that story because that's, that's the one to, the, to a lot of operators, oil and gas operators that if they realize like they're going to be able to implement this and it checks all these boxes that they got to check and at the same time that i man you could use that a lot of places i feel like yes and get the cost down and scale up do you think there's i mean obviously i think the generation capabilities will probably increase over time as well from they should right. they should the estimates that we're using or that annex power is using for power generation are, are very conservative mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so there as we get this initial unit up and operating we're hopeful that we'll be able to see more power generation mm -hmm. from it it's created a little bit of challenge uh from a control standpoint um because when you initially have the turbo expander starting up with the gas flow, mm -hmm. you don't have the computers running. Yeah, yeah. So you have to introduce an electric resistive heater that becomes essentially your load bank. Mm -hmm. You take the power from the turbo expander process, the power goes to that resistive heater, that provides the heat in your closed loop heating system that's feeding the gas until your computers come on. And then as mm -hmm. your computers come on, can... the resistive heater is gonna take less electricity because the computers are taking more electricity. Mm -hmm. And then by having, you know, having 40 computers sitting in immersion tanks and being able to overclock, underclock, mm -hmm. start and stop, you design control, control software that says, all right, I need, based on flow, I need 220 kW of consumption, turn these computers on, okay, overclock these computers. Okay, flow slowed down, we only have 200 kW of power back the computers back down mm -hmm. and be able to load follow so that you can yeah. try to use as much of the power that's being mm -hmm. generated through just monitoring what is coming out of the turbo expander. 
I have, and I'm sure this you is guys, some, this is some high speed low drag shit. I, yeah, dude. I, uh, <laughs> I like it. I, I'm like, I would love to know. And I know that I, I want to ask you the economics on it, but it's not, it doesn't look good right now, but, um, it will. So I'm I, sure. I, it, it, back to your point. I mean, if you have 250 KW, if you do the math, if you have yeah. S19s in there, you're making six Bitcoin a year. Mm -hmm. Is $250,000 a year enough to justify a million, a million and a half deployment? No. But pipeline uh, pipeline companies aren't the same right. as yeah. privately held companies. Mm -hmm. They have monopolies in areas. They have rate structures mm -hmm. that are designed for the good of everybody that they serve. Mm -hmm. And what sometimes doesn't make business sense in a normal publicly traded company or a privately held company mm -hmm. can make a lot of sense for the pipeline companies. Right, right. That's a whole different model. And like it's it's another way to mac to start generate some revenue on something they already have and it's already coming in. So the pipeline companies they deploy capital, right, they build pipelines, and then they make a rate of return and an agreed mm -hmm. to allowable rate of return based on mm -hmm. their tariffs. Especially in the Northeast, you can't build pipelines anymore. Right. So what most of the pipeline companies are doing now is modernization projects. Mm -hmm. They're going and replacing old compression that leaks methane into the air mm -hmm. because it wasn't designed for a capture system that captures that methane and they are putting in new compression that has mm -hmm. it's emission free. They're putting in heat recovery systems on the exhaust of those units mm -hmm. because they can create electricity from those heat recovery systems. In a lot of cases, they're just eliminating natural gas fire compression altogether mm. and converting everything over to electric in wow. order to eliminate the so emissions. So there's a lot of substations being built? There's a, a number of stations that are being replaced oh, okay. through modernization projects. You okay. have 1950s, you know, Clark compressor mm -hmm. units out there that are needed to be replaced anyways. Yeah. But under the argument of modernization and decarbonization, you're able to take that CapEx, put it into your rate base. If I can't build pipelines, but I can replace compressor stations and modernize and eliminate emissions, then that's good for the public and that's mm -hmm. good for our investors. Mm -hmm. If you think of a regulating station that's been built 30, 40, 50 years ago, that's wasting all of this energy, it's a great opportunity for modernization and decarbonization as well. Mm -hmm. So if the pipeline companies are able to take turbo expanders and install them as a modernization project to be able to take an old and inefficient technology of regulator right. valves and instead put in a turbo expander, that can also generate electricity and also right. tied to a data center can provide a reduction in the natural gas that's used on the front end. Now yeah. you may be able yeah. to make an yeah. argument to your regulators that this is a modernization and decarbonization project that, oh, by the way, has a electrical component that I mm -hmm. sell and it has renewable energy credits that I can use to offset my footprint elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So it's good for our pipeline operation. It right. helps us meet our decarbon decarbonization goals. And I'm willing as a pipeline operator to spend the money to mm -hmm. build the regulating station because I would like to get my mm -hmm. fair 8, 10, 12% rate of return right. that's agreed to in our rates. And if they're already going through that process, why not like the modernization? Because they're going to run oh, out of compressor right. stations that they can right. replace. They're going to run out of locations where they can put in solar panels and be able to try to power electric compression. Um, mm -hmm. And so then what's the, and that's the low hanging fruit that they're mm -hmm. doing right now. What are the next things that they can do? And they have thousands of regulating stations where they deliver gas to the LDCs. The LDCs have thousands of regulator stations where they're delivering to end users. Uh, so there's plenty of opportunity to be able to look at, all right, let's modernize how we regulate mm -hmm. natural gas delivery to our customers. I freaking like it. That's cool. 
That's really cool. So did they give you an idea on the forecast on like cost reduction? Or they think they No, we're still in the early stages. Yeah. Um, they are in the same position where they need to be able to take it from development right. in show actual it production. Works, right. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Because I can see that making a lot of sense, man. The, the, the hamster's running up there. I, I know. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, I think that could be – it'd be fun, too. Um, so one of the things that we did really early on as well as Magellan is is we were working on this concept. We said, all right, we need to reach out to a patent attorney. We yeah. need to see if somebody else is already doing this, number mm-hmm. one, or has a patent for this. And after some pretty exhaustive work, we determined that there was some turbo expanders with data centers. There were – turbo expanders but nothing that had this real process mm-hmm. so in 2021 we filed for a patent application okay. and last summer we received our patent from the u.s patent nice office. congrats so we man. had 22 um 22 claims mm-hmm. all 22 claims were approved in the patent application that's nice um, so we do have now ip protection yeah. for the process as well yeah i was kind of surprised you brought in the whole demonstration and all that it was like <laughs> man this dude's giving away some secret sauce here <laughs> he's got locked down man <laughs> yeah. well now i know yeah that makes sense we'll get, i like it i like it i could see that being something that really grows I mean, why would you not do it i think it's a good combination yeah. of data centers mm-hmm. it, it really whether it's bitcoin mining or whether it's company blockchain specific mm-hmm. applications whether it's artificial intelligence i think it's mm-hmm. a good opportunity to take stranded energy from a turbo expander that wouldn't mm-hmm. otherwise be able to be used and then combine that with your heat recovery oh. and be able to make the argument and it it doesn't have to be turbo expander data center it can be all just one skid mm-hmm. and it can be all mm-hmm. one big package that it just provides electricity that's used for reheat yeah, and, but it also provides electricity that can actually do work. Right, because in the simplest of approaches, you can just take a turbo expander and a resistive heater, and just be able to use that to be able mm-hmm. to run it. But why would you waste the electricity? Right, use the electricity to do computer work, and these computers mm-hmm. are so efficient. Right, at their consumption and then re- the heat that they create from mm-hmm. that you have almost a one for one of the power that's created, and then the BTUs that are returned through the uh, dielectric fluid and in the immersion data center back into the natural gas stream. That's another reason that I think um, the whole attack on Bitcoin and synergy, there's so many ways to innovate. Yes. And touch on so many different businesses. And a lot of it, a lot of it comes back to the type of innovation should be the type that it is, is the type of innovation that a lot of these people that are attacking it would be proponents of. Yeah. And it's, I I don't even know how many examples we could bring There's a lot. There's There's a ton. How, how big of the how big of the market for this application is? Oh, there's thousands and thousands of locations okay. just in the U.S. That's huge. Um, I mean, if you think about every house is right. that is fed natural gas, at some point that gas went through a natural gas regulating station. Mm-hmm. If you think about every you know power plant that's taking uh, gas, and they use a ton of natural mm-hmm. gas at the power plants, a natural gas fired power plant, they're all typically taking a couple hundred pound cut mm-hmm. um, off of an interstate pipeline into the facilities. Um, and so there's thousands of locations. Yeah. Uh, the equipment is installed parallel to the existing natural gas regulator mm-hmm. run, and it's designed to operate. And if it fails, the gas will flow back through the existing natural gas regulating mm-hmm. run. So you're not replacing necessarily equipment. You're adding another layer of the same equipment mm-hmm. that provides redundancy at the location yeah. as well. What, what pressure does it have to come in at? The units that Annex is manufacturing can handle up to 1,440 pounds. Okay. Uh, so th- I like the design that they have because mm-hmm. it can handle that higher interstate pressure. 
you need um, usually a two to one to three to one pressure okay. reduction ratio. Man, so that's like a trucking terminal. You like, mm-hmm. yeah, we like where we were at. We it was coming in a thousand pounds, and we we're mm-hmm. dropping down to at the site on that site at you know you're going in the gin sets at like three. Yep, three to five. Yep. So, um, and we had a big drop from freaking, I think it was yeah a thousand to like in the in the our little shed to like 250 mm-hmm. just in a short short distance in fact it would freeze up sometimes it's yeah. too short but yeah um yeah i mean you could put one out there mm-hmm. and that that was just one location right when well, we got two million a day coming in at so i think there's an a, a long-term opportunity as they develop this equipment to be able to build a higher pressure unit mm-hmm. uh, that is able to be truck mounted and yeah. able to brought to a shell pad mm. and use the i mean you gotta have to have a good sand trap and everything else mm-hmm. but to provide electricity on pad yeah well that's what i was just saying that electricity like you, on pad you generators your, out there. no then that then you don't need your air compressors yeah. to be able to provide uh the air that you need because most of those new pads are, are not mm-hmm. natural gas controlled yeah. pneumatics it's not it's air driven pneumatics well they need electricity or they need a generator mm-hmm. to be able to have the air driven mm-hmm. pneumatics if you have a turbo expander that's part of your regulation process on mm-hmm. pad then you use that electricity to run your pneumatic. What would yeah. have been your pneumatic controls now with air? Yeah, or air running. I could see controls. it being a home run. It's, obviously, it sounds early, but mm-hmm. you guys got a patent. That's what you <laughs> just build and that's on. Our, it. And that's really our goal. We're going to get this first location in uh, North Central PA mm-hmm. up and operating. When do you think that'll? We have the equipment being delivered back out there on March fifteenth. Oh, so this is like imminent. Yes. Man, I wish you go see it. We should. Yeah, I'd love to take you guys on a tour yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, and and obviously because of the unit being controlled remotely through SCADA controls, the data center being controlled remotely through um, SCADA controls, mm-hmm. we'd be able to sit down even if the unit was operating right now and bring up the computer screen and be able but, to show you here's how much power we're making, yeah. here's how much mining operation, here's what we're generating, and mm-hmm. we all be able to see it because it's all remotely controlled as well. I think it's pretty dope. That's cool. <laughs> That is really cool. So, man, I didn't expect that. No, we, we had a we had a call a while back, and I was like, "This is super cool." I was like, "We have to get you on the podcast." Yeah, about it. yeah. I I keep wanting to call it a turbocharger. <laughs> I don't That's know why. It's like keeps wanting to come out. Yeah, yeah, I should have yeah, said so supercharger. <laughs> it keeps wanting to come out, but yeah, turbo expander. I'm gonna be doing some freaking. They also go by the name of gas letdown generators. Mm-hmm. Uh, gas letdown generator is probably a better description because it's gas pressure letdown. And it generates a turbo expander. A turbo cooler. expander sounds yeah. cooler. Yeah, that does sound cooler. <laughs> that does sound like something would be in a car. Yeah, it does. That you would be driving. That I would be driving. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it definitely does. But yeah, I mean, obviously, the expense for that right now would be high for a miner. But you're right. Like a lot of other use cases that miners could then use it for. So mm-hmm. I freaking like it, man. I like it. We should. We should go out there and we should. I love it out there. I'd love to take you guys shoot. out there, take yeah. a field trip, yeah. take yeah. a look at the unit. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make that happen. Um, well, so what are you guys' expansion ideas, if you have any, on are you still going to look at monetizing that stranded gas? We are. We still have one pad location that's yeah. not connected to um, a pipeline network. Mm-hmm. And so we are still mining at that location. Um, and even if the economics become somewhat marginal, it's, it's mm-hmm. best to still be able to produce that location mm-hmm. with the mining operation. We're kind of on a pause right now. April's yeah. coming very quickly. Yeah, um, and right. we're gonna as we've got this on grid location uh, operating now, mm-hmm. and, and trying to get to the point where we're qualified to be able to participate in economic demand response. We'll mm-hmm. see what happens in April with the having, what happens with hash price, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll hopefully pivot from there to yeah. try to expand. 
it's funny because you said you started and it wasn't really about Bitcoin or anything. It was, but it sound you sound like a Bitcoiner now. It's but. amazing the <laughs> amount of uh, podcasts that I listen. When you yeah. have a when you have an and, and I, I did a lot of work at the remote locations uh, with the team. Mm-hmm. And when you're driving three hours in the middle of nowhere, uh, it, you can listen to a lot of Bitcoin podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> so Hopefully, this I one have too, been completely right? orange filled at this point. Oh, yes, good, good. Yes, yeah, yes. it's funny how that happens. Like. I mean, Leachman became a huge, huge maxi after uh, after we got going. It was it was it was a short period of time where I was like, "Dang, dude, you went from like zero to hero yeah. real fast on your Bitcoin beliefs." But yeah, it was it was uh, it happens a lot of times. So I, I don't, it's, once you get into it, it's kind of hard to get away from it. Nobody leaves Bitcoin. No, no, uh, and I think that and I like some of uh, some of the things that Michael Saylor has to say about Bitcoin really being mm-hmm. energy. Mm-hmm. and right. being the perfect battery are some of the things from a mechanical engineer and from a field operations mm-hmm. standpoint that I look at because the gas is stuck in the ground. It's essentially stored in the ground if you can't get it out of the ground. But mm-hmm. if you can get it out of the ground and you can turn it into something that you can move easily, it's the best solution. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, I'd rather have everything be in Bitcoin than have it in natural gas because then I don't need compressors. I don't need pipelines. Right. I don't need anything. But um, it, it is very convenient mm-hmm. to take an asset that's very hard to move from point A to point B as natural gas and to turn it into something that I can send you, you know. That's a really good point. Like how hard it is to actually get gas to market. It's There's a shit ton of stuff that goes into that. Yes. And you're right. Just having a Bitcoin mine is the easiest way to monetize something that's that hard to yeah. move. That's yeah. a really good point. I described it that way. I like it. Brent, this was awesome, man. Yeah, hey, I appreciate the opportunity to share what we're working on. I think you're going to blow a lot of people's minds, so I can't wait to release. I this. know, yeah, I'm excited. That is really cool. I I had not heard of that. It makes total sense. Great illustration with uh, your first first <laughs> guy whistle. to bring a prop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, first prop. We did get a prop last uh, Empower. Oh, we did the the tinfoil, tinfoil hat. hats. Yeah, we so got to bring that back. Yeah, we do, we do. But yeah, man, great illustration, and yeah, I'm I'm excited to release this one too. You guys are gonna kill it with that, man. I hope so. It might I be a few so. years, but it's one of those. You know, we we were working short term on our off grid mm-hmm. locations and then our auger locations, and this is one of the ones we've always had in the background. Like mm-hmm. you said, it's it's an investment. Mm-hmm. It's gonna take some time to hopefully realize, but we really believe in the technology. That I I mean, short period of time that we've talked about it sounds incredible and could have a lot of applications for a lot of different things. Things you're probably not even thinking of right yeah. now too. Yep. So yeah, because um, I'd imagine there's other other use cases where a turbo charger well there's <laughs> turbo expander i will would be tell you that there's you know you could use that same turbo expander to put an electrolyzer right and generate hydrogen that, um, oh, yeah. and put the hydrogen into the pipeline mm-hmm. the economics aren't there right uh, but the economics are kind of tight on this as well but mm-hmm. there's other things that you can do that right. are unique and that are clean energy related mm-hmm. i i like it so thank you for yeah. sharing that on here you bet so well this is awesome man this was awesome I'm, so, got, I'm super excited about we, it. We got some more shows coming up, but thank you, Brent, for coming. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, man. Let's, we need to go up to PA. Yeah. yeah. Let us make a trip out. I love up there. Much we better. Do, we yeah, do yeah let's do it. Yeah, definitely something. Yeah. <laughs> we should do a little, another little do, mini documentary. Let's do it. Make a whole one on like, like all kinds of the different new innovative, you know, energy ideas. We did. We're, uh, we, we're finishing up on CNX right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, releasing nice. it this week. Nice. So it's going to be awesome. So, Very cool. Well, thank you, Brent. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Yeah. yeah, good seeing you, guys. Share the share the episodes, like, yeah. subscribe. Yes, the whole nine yards. We are back, baby. We're gonna we're be back. cranking these we're gonna, things. Yeah, up. we're gonna load up now. 
my life has settled in very nicely, so I'm ready to freaking go to work.